And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name is Eddie Cohn. I'm the host, the creator, the chief executive in charge, the editor, everything involved with this podcast. I am the one. So I appreciate you listening to this week's show. I am thrilled for today's episode. Bogdan Grabiniok. I just got off the phone with him because I wanted to make sure I pronounced his name properly. It's Bogdan Grabiniok, also known as Shark, which is obviously much easier for me to say. Wow, Shark is, it was just an incredible conversation. And we'll get to the conversation really soon. You know, I like to share a quick, a few quick thoughts before the conversation, sort of give you a little bit of my frame of mind, some things I'm thinking about before you listen. But I think it's important for you to know that Shark is only 28 years old. He's been an athlete for almost, I guess, 20 years. He was a swimmer. He started swimming at the age of seven. He swam collegiately, winning multiple awards and winning multiple competitions. He's a boxer. He trains and teaches classes over at Box and Burn in Santa Monica. And by the way, his Instagram handle is shark and then underscore BNB. BNB obviously stands for Box and Burn. So you can find Shark in Santa Monica. Find him on Instagram, shark underscore BNB. The scary part, though, here for Shark was he was diagnosed with cancer a couple months ago. And I think to myself, how freaking scary is that to spend most of your life training, being an athlete, and then finding out at a really young age that you have Hodgkin's lymphoma? The really exciting part, though, of this conversation that Shark and I had about a week ago is he came over to my studio the day after he found out that he was cancer-free after only four treatments of chemotherapy. So, you know my issues with Instagram and social media. Well, Emmy told me about Shark, and I went ahead and checked out his Instagram page and talk about inspirational. But here's a guy who is busting his ass, who's training, who's exercising, even, at, even while going through chemotherapy having a positive warrior attitude, even after finding out that he was diagnosed with cancer. And just being able to sit here and talk to him and hear his story growing up in the Ukraine, moving here to the States, it's powerful stuff. And he's dealt with a lot of health issues in the past. I think that's also part of the reason why I wanted to speak to him is that I've had a lot of health issues as a child and even in my 20s and dealing with anxiety And I guess I'll leave you with this. You know, I just finished watching The Joker. And it was nominated for 9, 10, 11 Academy Awards. And it's such a powerful movie. It's incredibly sad and lugubrious. And it's really upsetting. And it's challenging to watch. But I think it's a reminder that life is is really freaking challenging and really hard. And I'm not here to preach to you because we all have our battles, but I think it's important to find people that are there for you, that lift you up, especially in those trying times 
whether you're losing a job or losing a family member to some health condition or getting a cancer diagnosis, life is really challenging. And if you don't have those people, you could end up feeling really alone and lost. And I think part of the reason why Shark has battled through these tough times is because he's had people in his life, whether it's his wife, trainers, coaches, that have given him some support because we can't get through this stuff alone. I think part of the reason why I've created this podcast is I've wanted to create an environment where people can share their stories, where people feel the freedom to talk and communicate, to get people to stop staring at their phones, to feel inspired, to get off their asses and follow their dreams. And I think that's the tragedy of social media if you're not careful. You can literally spend your entire day staring at your phone, scrolling at meaningless content. So this show and hopefully this conversation that you hear with Shark will remind you that we are all poten- we we all have the potential for greatness. With the right attitude, nothing can stop you. And after sitting with Shark for an hour and a half, I felt my spirit lifted, I felt more confident, I felt lucky and there's this really powerful moment in the conversation where you He says something like, I am thankful for this breath. And he takes a big inhale and a big exhale. And you can just feel the gratitude emanating from Shark as he breathes and takes that breath. And it's powerful stuff. So without further ado, really quickly here, if you dig the show, there's a few things you can do that are really helpful for me. You can share it with your friends. You can head over to iTunes and you can write a review or give it a quick five star. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Eddie Cohn and say hello and just tell me what you thought about the show. I love hearing from people. You can support my show directly at my Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. And then you could also find Shark on Instagram at shark underscore BNB. And he's supposed to be done with chemotherapy in April. So once that hits, he should be back at Box and Burn training and teaching. So you can find him there. And wow, just great talk. I'm super appreciative that Shark took the time to talk to me. I'm appreciative that you have been listening to the show and supporting the show for the last year and a half. So yeah, I'll leave you with that. Thanks as always for listening and being a part of the show. And I hope you dig the conversation that I had with shark as much as I enjoyed it. So as always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the downward facing spiritual spiral podcast. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Are you kidding? I mean, there's so much I want to get into and, and, talk about why I was inspired to reach out to you but yesterday was kind of a big freaking deal for you yeah big big day yesterday do you want to talk about it of course yeah are we already recording oh yeah we have been all right yeah yesterday was a big day it started with I woke up and I got a message from a friend of mine in Ukraine I'm Ukrainian I was born and raised in Ukraine 
and I got a message um, from a friend of mine who's a boxer, former boxer, and he used to be on the national team as an amateur, right? Uh, competing uh, internationally. And he sent me a video of him and Alexander Usyk. I don't know if you heard of a boxer, Alexander Usyk. No. He's a um, undisputed champion uh, of the world, professional. He okay. just moved. Uh, he just moved up a weight class, up okay. to heavyweight. Yeah. Yeah. So the day started really well, where with the, one of my favorite boxers basically wishing me luck right. and and sending me good vibes and strength in my and supporting me in my fight with cancer. And then I had an appointment with my doctor, with my oncologist that day. And uh, I knew I would see her and she would tell me about my PET scan results. So I had done uh, uh, five rounds of chemotherapy so far. After fourth round, we did a PET scan, PET CT scan, a body scan uh, to see what my progress is like. They They did one scan before we started treatment which showed the stage that I had, which was stage 3B. The, mm, so there's four stages. Four was stage. it lymphoma? Lymphoma. Okay, right. Hodgkin lymphoma, yes. So my, I had a stage 3B cancer lymphoma. After four rounds of chemotherapy, we did a PET scan to see what kind of progress I'm having. And yeah, uh, she messaged me and she reviewed it and it looks great, but, it, she, but she didn't tell me that I'm in remission. Right. And so yesterday I met with her and she showed me the scan on the computer and she gave me the paperwork with the, all the descriptions. So, you know, the radiologists who reviewed my scan, uh, all the detailed descriptions of it. So basically, yeah, as of yesterday, I know that my body is cancer free. Wow. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, it's a really huge accomplishment. And yeah. I think... I mean, a lot of people may not know you. You're you're in your early 30s, right? I'm 28. You're actually 28. Yes. So this is incredibly unusual to get a stage three lymphoma diagnosis at the age of 28. Actually, uh, lymphoma is one of those types of cancer where uh, it's not unusual in young individuals. Interesting. Ch- children get get it sometimes. Um, you know, teenagers get it. People of all ages. Is non-Hodgkin's it. lymphoma is that cancer of the bone? No, or it's, of the blood? it's ba- basically cancer of your lymphatic system. Okay. It's a blood. It's considered a blood cancer, like leukemia, which it, can be typically diagnosed when you're a kid, right? It, yes, leukemia okay. and lymphoma are considered blood cancers, but uh, lymphoma in particular is basically a cancer of your lymphatic system so we all have these lymph nodes located throughout our body right Right. and lymphoma is basically cancer of your lymph Lymph nodes okay lymphatic system You're in incredible shape, and I think exercise and fitness has been a part of your life. And I was reading from a very young age, and I think we get into fitness and sports for a variety of reasons, but one side effect of that is, you know, we ultimately feel better, we feel good. And I don't think we're thinking about cancer diagnosis at any point, especially when we were younger. And so then to, what were, like, did you get the sense that you were, was something not right with you? 
Yes. Um, so yeah, I've been an athlete my entire life since at at age of seven. Right. I started swimming, and I've been a swimmer my entire life. I've been um, a national champion in Ukraine, junior national champion twice, multiple time silver, bronze medalist, and then at uh, when I was twenty years old, I came to the United States and. I started competing in NCAA Division Two. Uh, I swam for college, and I've become Pennsylvania State uh, champion four years in a row. My freshman through uh, senior year, I was a champ, and uh, my junior year, I was also able to place eighth at the national championships in um, Indiana, and I was uh, so that's a, like a. All American. I earned it. All American honors. Right after that, uh, and I got into boxing also in Ukraine a little bit. I started boxing, and then uh, when I was uh, when after I came to the United States uh, in 2012, every off season I would do boxing too as as a way of keeping myself in shape and just doing what I love to do because boxing has always been kind of my favorite sport always been really passionate about boxing huge yeah. huge fan and um it, at first it strikes strikes you hard you're like you're thinking man like i've been an athlete my entire life living healthy i never done drugs did you remember though like were you just not feeling well what made you were i, I just don't know what were some of the symptoms and yeah what was happening so my very first symptom was a skin issue that started my junior year of college Oh, uh, wow. So yeah. this was a while ago. Okay. Yeah. It, my very first symptom started in 2014. So five years right. ago. It was, a, I would get these like skin irritations in random spots in my body. Normally my arms and legs, it would not be very visible. It would not be like red or anything, but it would itch a lot. Real like unsatisfiable itch. Like okay. I would itch myself till it bleeds. Oftentimes, I went to urgent care doctors. I went to doctors in you know college, and uh, I would. I've always been told it's either eczema, allergies, or dermatitis. Right. And I've been prescribed all kinds of creams, pills, you know, all kinds of things, and none of those things ever ever helped. And I mean, now it's understandable why, because it's none of those things that they told me. Right. Uh, it was after I found out what kind of cancer I have, lymphoma, skin itch is one of the symptoms of lymphoma. Yeah. Wow. So that was my very first symptom, which started in 2014. Uh, 2019, in I want to say summer 2019, I started having more symptoms, which were pains inside of me like literally pains inside of my inside of my chest inside of like literally inside of me yeah <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe it uh, in more detail especially when I was laying down so I was having a lot of trouble sleeping at first uh, on like on my back and then uh, it gradually got worse and worse and worse at some point uh, in September, I could not sleep laying down anymore. Wow. Uh, I had to buy, my, my parents bought me this recliner chair, you know, which you can configure, uh, you press the buttons and you I could configure like a certain chair position, which I could fall asleep in because I could not fall asleep laying down anymore. 
I remember with my wife, there were like a couple weeks she slept with me on the couch. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I was sleeping, sitting down, and my wife was just kind of there with me, you know. Um, it's scary. You know, I, just really quickly, there's a r- lot of reasons why I connect with your story and wanted to talk to you, but I had a lot of health issues as a kid. And I was in and out of the hospital between the ages of 12 and 17. And I remember going down that hallway where I was ultimately diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 12. But I remember I had been sick for six months and nobody knew what was wrong with me. And I missed a bunch of school. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to Children's Hospital in Cleveland, Rainbow Babies, it's called. And I was there to get the leukemia test because Mm -hmm. the symptoms that I had, I, I couldn't move many parts of my body. I was in incredible pain. Mm -hmm. It got to the point where they thought, oh, I must have leukemia. And I just, I'll never forget walking down that hallway, Mm -hmm. seeing all the kids around me that are going through chemo, incredibly sick, and had that bone marrow transplant test where they stick that long needle in your hip. And, you know, ultimately, thank God I wasn't diagnosed with that. But, and I think a week later, they finally figured out what was wrong with me. But it's just freaking scary. And I'm 12, you're 28. It doesn't, I think anything that's health related when you're a kid or you're young and then you're exercising all the time thinking that you're fine. I mean, it's, and then somebody walks in and says that you have cancer or, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like it has to have, I mean, t- just tell me about like emotionally what was going on when you hear that. Yeah, at first it hits you really hard. At first, it's a, it's a big hit to take. How we found out, it was um, it's in September. My wife uh, has a birthday in September, and we had planned a getaway little trip to Joshua Tree. We rented a house in Joshua Tree, and we went, me and my wife, and we took our two dogs with us, and it was just a weekend we spent together in this beautiful house in the middle of nowhere, and we had a really great time, but... I could not sleep at mm. all because I was in a lot of pain. And, so, you're, and you're still under the, under the impression that it's, you know, a skin type of a thing going on. I mean, you may be thinking at this point mm. it's probably... So, no, I it, 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 the pain uh, kind of felt like like an injury, you know? Sure. It, it kind of felt like uh, I... Um, pulled a muscle or something like that. It, it was weird. I had been experiencing that pain for a while and uh, it would sometimes get better, sometimes would get worse. Sometimes would get better and sometimes again worse. So I was like, why is it like that? And I treated it like an injury. I would put like cream on it and right. I would ice it and I would uh, massage it with like a Theragun, you know, uh, with one of those uh, massage uh, guns. Yeah. And sometimes it seemed like it helped. So I kept treating it like an injury. But then right before that trip to Joshua Tree, I went to urgent care to see a doctor about three things. One of them was skin, which has been bothering me for years. And I went to ask another doctor of their opinion about my skin. Another thing was a pain in my back when I'm sleeping, when I'm laying down for a long time. And another thing was I had this uh, lymph node on my neck. So I was in the gym preparing oh. for my boxing workout. 
and I was in front of the mirror stretching out and I went uh, I interlaced my fingers behind my back like this to stretch out my shoulders and chest and I saw that lymph node on my neck just pop it was like a ball and I was like what the hell what is this it didn't hurt or anything but it just it was inflamed it was like a ball on my neck yeah and I went to see that urgent care doctor and about those three things. And as always, as most of the doctors before told me, uh, skin is dermatitis, I'm going to prescribe you cream. Yes, back is an injury, so just take it easy on the right. exercise. But the ball on your neck is what concerns me. It looks really concer concerning to me. He's asked me of my health history, and uh, I was born with a heart condition, which called... Uh, Wolf Parkinson White syndrome. Due to the heart condition, I didn't know uh, since birth, but how I found out is when I was 18 years old during a swimming practice, I had a cardiac arrest. So we had a swimming set and I finished the set and then I noticed that my heart was racing so much. I was I, I tried to calculate the heartbeat. Uh, but I couldn't even calculate it because it was so ridiculously fast. I looked down at my chest and my, my skin was lifting like pop, 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 pop. Like I could see my chest like, you know, bumping up and down. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I took, and long story short, uh, I had a cardiac arrest and my heart stopped for 40 minutes. You know, my, the ambulance came in and somehow they were able to pull me out of there you know yeah so um that's how we found out i had that heart condition uh later uh that was in 2010 and a month from uh after i had a cardiac arrest i had a surgery performed on my heart basically fixed the problem which caused it back to this urgent care doctor which i saw right before my uh, joshua tree trip with my wife i told him about that heart condition and he told me that the ball on my neck the inflamed lymph node mm -hmm. that's what it was but he thought it, it, it somehow related to my heart so he referred me to a cardiologist he said you should need you should see a cardiologist i'm like what cardiologist yeah so i told my dad my dad is an orthopedic surgeon and oh. bone cancer specialist back in ukraine right now he lives in philadelphia and he doesn't practice surgery anymore but anyways, he's a doctor. I told him and he said, well, I doubt that it's, you know, it's a heart issue. But if he referred you to see a cardiologist, maybe go ahead and see a cardiologist just to be safe, just to see, you know, what yeah. it is. I decided not to go right away. I was like, a lot of things going on. Yeah, and, and sure. my wife's birthday, we're just going to go and then we'll it's see how. It's fucking exhausting to yeah. think about doctors too yeah. all the time. You just want to get yeah. a break. Yeah. So for, for our trip to Joshua Tree and... I just couldn't sleep and um, we got back from, from our trip. Uh, I just remember it was Monday and I called that urgent care doctor and I told him, you know, my the pain inside of me got worse. And he says, go see cardiologist as soon as possible. Uh, the cardiologist which he referred me to was not able to take me that day or uh, like even that week. They were busy. They were all scheduled. Thank God. Uh, we we find this cardiologist at UCLA and I go and see him and he saw me and he told me that he doesn't think I have any heart problems and he doesn't think this yeah. this ball on my neck is related to my heart in any way. But he suggested we do an x-ray to see 
what the hell it is. And so we did an x-ray and in two days he called me back saying that the x-ray results came back and they look concerning yeah <laughs> and he needs to see me as soon as possible and i tell him okay i'm available tomorrow morning can i come tomorrow morning and he says well technically you can but i prefer you see me as soon as possible like even today before, like now today. now wow. if come now if you can and i'm like what the that's you gotta know? be fucking scary and yeah and and so i had a client scheduled for that day in classes i called my bosses and i say look this is what's happening and can you please you know help me out here and cover my classes and i cancel my clients so they they help me with that and i go see that cardiologist and he's trying to you know go slowly into it blah 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 you know it looks kind of concerned i'm like doc just fucking, <laughs> just fucking tell me what what what's going on yeah and he goes I think you have lymphoma. And I didn't even know what the fuck lymphoma is. I'm yeah. like, is, is that cancer? And he says, yes. And so we're like, we just took it in. It was, my wife went with me and we just took it in and he said, and it's what's what's crazy is that at that point I didn't even have insurance, and we're like, okay, what do we do now? He says, I suggest you go uh, to emergency room and you tell about all your symptoms and you say what it is. Right there in an emergency room, you can apply for insurance for like a. Uh, in extreme situations like that, there's a there's a way to apply for insurance. There's a medical insurance, right? Back to your question, how we took it in. When we first heard it, we just were quiet, sitting in that room with that doctor. And then he told us what to do. We left his office, went into the elevator, quiet, didn't say nothing. In the elevator, went down to the first floor of the hospital. Walked out of the hospital. We just looked at each other with my wife, embraced each other, and we cried for like a minute or two. We just cried. Because at first, it's, it hits you really hard emotionally because, you know, it's cancer, you know? Yeah. I'm facing death, you know? When you fight cancer, you're facing death. So it can be overwhelming at first. So it overwhelmed us for a minute or two. And then we collected ourselves and we went to the emergency room and this entire process started. We right there in the emergency room the first day when I found out. We started doing all these, all the blood work, uh, scans and, and everything. And I was hospitalized. I had to spend a, a night in the hospital so that they would do the biopsy on me the next morning. Because the biopsy would be uh, the only way to confirm the, the disease yeah. that I'm dealing with. I'm thinking, I think we live in a day and age now where we, and I think also... Women are like this as well, but there's this sort of control attitude that I think a lot of guys have, especially when we're young. And it's, you know, maybe a DNA thing, a macho thing. I'm sure you probably felt that as a kid growing up in the Ukraine as well. And I think this is a harsh lesson for all of us to just 
kind of, you have to let go. Yeah. You just, listen, life happens anyways, you know, life happens and people deal with all kinds of things. All of us deal with our own demons. Ain't nobody's lives is perfect, right? We all deal with shit. And it's how you deal with that shit is what defines you, you know? So I refuse to be weak. I refuse to be uh, scared, you know? Whatever that is that life throws me, I'm going to face it like a warrior I am, like a champion I am. And uh, that's how I choose to live, period. Let me ask you, I'm just, I'm kind of jealous because I struggle and I, I, I don't know if it's because of the health issues I had as a kid, but I, I do worry. You know, I think it's this sort of voice underneath my head of like what potentially could go wrong next. Mm-hmm. How did, even despite facing stage three cancer, how do you think you, and I feel like you've had this attitude because you've been having health issues for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's not like this just happened, you know, four months ago. Mm-hmm. Why do you, to what do you attribute that? attitude something you learned or picked up or just it was always there um well first of all i have to thank my parents my parents my coaches uh my mentors throughout my life that i worked with swimming coaches boxing coaches my fellow athletes swimmers and boxers and and other athletes who i met and who i learned from who i looked at as as an example even athletes and and different people who I haven't met, like um, I'm 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 a sports fan and I and I watch sports and I look up to some guys and take an example of some guys. Also, just I think what played a big part. Don't get me wrong, man. I, I've struggled in my life and I've had dep- I've dealt with depression. I I've I've been in the really low points where. I felt worthless and I felt like shit and I didn't have that warrior mentality like I do now, you know. If if I were to be diagnosed with cancer two and a half years ago, man, I, it could have been it could have been a lot different. Two two and a half years ago I had a pretty bad depression. I was never suicidal, you know, I never thought of killing myself. But I was in a place where I understood why people kill themselves, you know. So what I attribute this this mental this attitude and mental strength to is just not giving up, you know. You we only got one life. Every day is a fight to become better, to become stronger, to become wiser, to gain more knowledge. Every day you go through the experiences and it's up to you how do you let these experiences affect you and affect your life, your character, your personality, you know. I think it's just all about that desire of becoming better every day and and, uh, never taking a step back. And always striving to move forwards and grow, you know. Yeah. As long as you can, as you try to get better at something every single day, that's, I think that's the key.
depression two and a half years ago. It started with a lot of things, you know, the war in my home country, Ukraine, uh, was a big, big thing that impacted my my uh, emotional state, right? Uh, my parents were in Ukraine when the war started and they were almost killed. There was an accident when um, they were uh, driving in the car uh, from my dad's work and they there, there was a car chasing after them. Long story short, they were pulled out of the car by these terrorists. Basically, these were like separatists who were taking the cars that they like because my home city was a war zone and they were taking like big cars and attaching like uh, machine guns on top of them and taking them to war. And my dad had like a big SUV, black uh, tinted windows. Mm. So perfect right. for that, right? So they went after them and they caught him. They pulled my parents out of the car. They put handcuffs on my dad behind his back while he was on the ground they were kicking him they broke his ribs and and everything and my mom was yelling trying to stop him and they were like if you don't shut up we're gonna cut your tongue off you know it was um it was a tough time how long so, ago was this that was 2014 that was a pretty recent okay and um what, what we think saved them was my mom was yelling, he's a doctor. He's out there in the hospital saving your asses. You might be there tomorrow with, with gunshots dying and he'll be saving your ass. And so they they were making calls. So what we think, they, they were making calls confirming that he's a doctor who's, you know, mm. performing surgeries on a lot of these wounded guys who participate in the war. And um, they let him go. That same day, my my parents, you know, bought tickets and and uh, I think in a week they left the country forever. And ev- all they took was two suitcases and our dogs. Everything they ever worked for, the house, the cars, everything was left. And right there, were you already you were already in the states at this point? It was my junior year of college. Okay, yeah. I was a, I was a full you know full time student and and NCAA athlete. And while that was going on, and so then my parents came, and they only had so much money with them, and they didn't speak English, they had no jobs, you know, it was a lot of a lot of stuff going on for for my family. And at that point, you know, I'm considering quitting college, quitting swimming, so that I can find some kind of job to to make some kind of money to provide, you know, so that my, so we can eat and not just burn through all that money that my parents had, which was not a lot anyways. Right. And then, you know, it was just a lot, a lot of, I, I hated swimming at that point. I was sick of it, you know, but it was my job because I was on a full athletic scholarship. My parents would not be able to pay the tuition in college, so I had to work for for it was this was my job i I swam to to represent my my school competitions and swimming and that's how i earned my scholarship to pay for the tuition and and for the housing and everything wow so that's i mean you were being humble as i was complimenting you about your attitude but you were sort of saying that i wasn't always this way 
you know, if this would have happened two and a half years ago or three and a half, three years, I would have been much different state of mind. Yes. So, I mean, I can see what, clearly there's a lot of elements here that are probably really (laughs) making you feel pretty distraught and upset and, and depressed. And what, how did it all sort of work itself out? Yeah. So my parents moved to United States and thank God they, they, they survived that attack and everything. And then, so I continued with, uh, thank God for our friends back in Pennsylvania where I went to college. Uh, there's, I went to Westchester University, which is right outside Philadelphia. And it's a great town. We have a great community, swimmers and, and their parents. It's very friendly community, which they, people, very kind people who helped my family. They provided them with free living and, 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 and everything, food, you name it. And they helped us with so many things, which we will forever be grateful for. Uh, so I continued. I didn't quit college. I continued with my swimming career, and I uh, and I ended up graduating college in 2016. And then I got into boxing. I really wanted to. That I had that desire. I want to fight. You know, boxing has always been my favorite sport. So I want to fight, even if I have only one fight. I, I want to have it under my belt. And so I started training hard. I started working with this coach who. Uh, thought I should for my build for the way I'm built for my height and everything for my reach I should cut weight when I finished uh, swimming at first I got into strength training and I put on a bunch of size muscle but Mm -hmm. some fat with it so the heaviest uh, I was was about 213 pounds I was a pretty you know decent yeah, that's size. pretty because how what do you weigh now like 160 right now about 160 okay yeah, yeah so that's pretty big difference yeah. and so i was like 213 pretty strong like i was deadlifting 400 some pounds and you know squatting like 380 pounds whatever i was decently strong but my boxing coach thought you know you you're too heavy if you want to fight, you should cut weight. And so I was, and so I put a goal for my for myself. I'm gonna cut weight, and I'm, you know, ain't nothing can stop me. I'm gonna do it. Like I'm gonna get shredded. I'm gonna get, you know, I'm gonna get down. My coach thought it it would be a good idea for me to fight at 161, or I think there's a division 161 or 152. So I ended up cutting to 152. And I did it in a very unhealthy way. I was training extremely hard, running on average five miles a day, doing uh, 10 rounds of jump rope, five rounds of shadow boxing, bag work, mitt work, and two hard sparring sessions a week. While I was eating a thousand to twelve hundred calories a day, of not the healthiest food either, yeah. and so I had an extremely restrictive diet, which led me to developing an eating disorder. I developed a binge eating disorder and bulimia. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, so basically, I, do. I was starving myself so much. I remember so many nights where I just couldn't fall asleep because I was just starving. I was just, I could not stop thinking about food. I was so, so hungry. And, and, and to, make me, to make myself not eat, 
I would drink this uh, sleeping syrup, you know, like Zequil, to fall asleep so that I don't eat, so that when I wake up, I, I go for a run in the morning. Wow. You know? So I did a very, very unhealthy way. I developed, binge, like I would go super strict on myself like this and I would b- battle all these cravings for days and, and sometimes weeks, but then I would have one or two or or three days of craziness. Like I would eat 10,000 calories easily in one sitting. Like, And my cravings were just crazy and I became obsessed with food. I became addicted to food. And yeah. uh, what happens when you have these crazy, this crazy binge day, you eat all that food and it's normally shit. Like I would, ha- I would have like a large pie of pizza by myself mm-hmm. and then I would have like family size M&M's and I would have ice cream and then I would dip chocolate bars into ice cream and eat that together like and then as soon as you finish your last bite you obviously hate yourself yeah you tell yourself why the fuck did you do it all this hard work and now you all now you messed it all up now you threw it and then you throw in, up in the, in the toilet so that so then you go uh, and bulimic people they either a purge through exercise or throwing up. I did both. You were doing both. I were do. I was doing both. I was punishing myself with with training, and I was throw making myself throwing up. And my mind was so addicted to food at some point that I would do it like. I would binge uh, in the first half of the day and um, I would go make myself throw up and I would hate myself. I would sit next to the toilet and I would be hating myself, saying to myself, why did you do this to yourself? Did you tell anybody what was going on eventually? Or how, like, what, what turned it around? N- nobody but my wife. My wife. I told my wife. And, and that's what, when I told her, well, she kind of caught me doing okay. it. She, she she knew because my wife is a synchronized swimming coach and uh, binge eating and bulimia is something uh, that she has to she had dealt with because her athletes and her uh, she's met um, synchro girls excuse me who had who had this problem as well because um, in synchronized swimming, in that sport, some coaches uh, can be abusive and say to synchro girls, They're, you're fat, you need to lose weight. And so girls go on restrictive diets right. as well, and they develop these eating disorders as well. So my wife knew what, what, what binge eating disorder and bulimia is, and she caught me basically doing it. And she's like, one day I would eat and... I would hide food in the, in the kitchen and my, my, my wife would be sitting in the living room watching the TV and I would try to quietly eat in the kitchen and then would, I would go in the bathroom, turn on the uh, sink, yeah. the, the, the water, so it's like the l- l- louder noise. So it's trying to make her not hear me throwing up and I would throw up. But then she eventually called me and, I, and then I, I just told her, you know, this is what I'm dealing with. And she's like, okay, let's fucking figure it out. Let's let's do something about it. And um, that's when my healing 
process and growth began that yeah. was the lowest point of my life i had depression bulimia all of that together all that stress war in ukraine that was the lowest if i were to find out that i have cancer then uh, who knows what would happen who knows uh, that was i was mentally i would not be ready mentally to take on cancer then but so thank god everything is the way it is so when I found out, excuse me, when my wife, uh, finally, I told her and I was, I told her that, yes, I am dealing with this. I am dealing with bulimia. I am binge eating. And, and um, we were like, we started making research. How do we, how do we get out of, out of this place? And I, I found out about this book. It's called Brain Over Binge. It's, uh, the author of this book is Catherine Hansen. What's it called again? Brain Over Binge. Brain Over Binge. Okay. Yes. That book helped me cure myself from binge eating disorder and bulimia. After reading that book, my healing process began. I read that book and it helped me in a big way. And I was like, and that's when for the first time in my life I felt the power of books you know uh, because prior to that I had read some books but it were like it, it was either like autobiographies or books in college books in school you know yeah I never really read books that help self-development self-growth and that was my first one I had to read that book to cure myself from binge eating and bulimia and uh, and I felt that power of, of that book because it, it, I, that book changed my life in a way, you know. Right now, I I I am the strongest mentally that I that I that I, I have ever been. I know nothing can break me. Not cancer. Nothing. Nothing can can break my mindset. It's just. I feel unstoppable right now and this is the strongest I've ever felt mentally and this is the happiest I've ever been. And I'm not just saying this is the happiest I've ever been because I found out I'm cancer-free yesterday. This is what I said with cancer. This is what I said two weeks ago, a month ago, two months ago, right, before, right, after, my, right after my I found out I have cancer. Uh, I was emotional for out for a couple hours but then i collected right myself back. really quick and you can you can even find videos on my instagram uh, the the days after i found out about my diagnosis i'm saying i'm living the dream this is the happiest i've ever been and i have no doubt i will kill cancer and after i do it i will give back and share my knowledge and experience with people and hopefully will help somebody Well, I think it's right around that time. You know, I feel like there's so many things I could go down or so many different avenues I can go down. But I think it was right around that time when Emmy showed me your videos and was like, you know, you need to talk to Shark and have him on the show. And my show is about it sort of evolved out of my issues with our society's obsession with Instagram and technology. 
And I feel as though people are addicted to their phones. They're staring and scrolling all day without actually, you know, putting, putting in the work because life is obviously really challenging. If you want to become a professional boxer, I mean, I was even watching the football games this weekend and those fucking guys are so strong and so fast. And if I was out there, I would, I would literally die because they are just, but they make it seem so effortless, but they put in the work. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work. And whether you're a doctor, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're an attorney, if you're good, you freaking put in the work. Absolutely. And so what I see happening is people aren't putting in the work as much. They're just, you know, thumbing on their phones all day. And, and I realize life is hard and we sort of like an escape sometimes and just sort of numb out. Mm-hmm. But there's this sort of tipping point happening where people are getting lazy. And I, I know I'm sort of throwing out a huge, broad, you know, sweeping judgment. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's the impression that I see every day. No, you're right. So when I saw, and I, I just, I don't want to say despise, but I just think there's such hypocrisy and so much fakeness going on on Instagram because people are basically just taking selfies of like the greatest moments of their life. We don't really know if they're happy or sad. Basically, everybody's sort of become an actor. Everybody's yes. sort of like portraying a bullshit yeah. persona. Right. And so... I come and see your videos and here's a guy who's just had his first round or second round of chemo and he's like, fuck chemo. I am boxing my ass off. I'm still teaching classes. If I can do this, you can do this. Here's a guy who gets it, who's actually using Instagram and social media in a real fucking inspirational way. I want to get to like meet this guy because hallelujah. And, but does it take something bad? to sort of like make people reprioritize their lives. And, and, and like your posts were, and I went back and all your posts are really cool. And you, this is before you had cancer, but then knowing that you had cancer and then you're still doing that thing was even, you know, was really inspiring. You know, I am so thankful to cancer because I am, if I, uh, if I had a chance to change anything about my past, I would not change a thing. Not a single thing. Uh-huh. I am absolutely thankful for every single challenge, every I had to go through, for every demon in my head I had to fight. Everything that I've been through. And on my chest, across my collarbones, I have a quote. Uh, it's a Russian Russian saying, which says, which translates to, I'm going to heaven through hell. So to your point, yes, sometimes you have to go through some really brutal shit in order to elevate in life and get to an amazing place. And that's what, that's exactly what happened to me. I went through hell, but here I am living the best life that I was I was afraid to dream about back in the day. And I am so, so thankful for every single breath that I'm taking, for the one I'm taking right now. You're right, Eddie. 
you're right. Sometimes you do have to go through something really, really hard and brutal to open your eyes and get to know yourself, get to know your true self. You know, I would not know all these things about myself, how strong I really am if I, if I wasn't faced. I was forced to face all these things. I was forced. I didn't choose to have a cardiac arrest back in 2010. I didn't choose, uh, you know, to have cancer. But I was forced to face these things. And I ended up facing them like a champion. And I got to know that champion, that I have the heart of a champion inside my chest. And now I'm rewarded with this beautiful life that I'm living. I saw that you, I want to ask more about technology, but I, I saw that you were fasting during your chemo. Yeah. What was the intention behind that? And because... You were scheduled for eight rounds of chemo, right? Twelve. Twelve. Mm-hmm. And you found out you were cancer-free after the fourth. Yes. First, why I fast. Uh, I've been practicing intermittent fasting before I knew what intermittent fasting was. I never enjoyed eating breakfast in the morning. Like I never woke up and was hungry, you know. Back in Ukraine, that's how it was. And... Now, looking back at my life and my athletic career, I realized that my best athletic performances were on the empty stomach. I was fasted. My best swimming races, I was fasted. Um, you know, my best workouts, I was fasted. So anyways, uh, I learned about intermittent fasting and its benefits about about three and a half years ago. And, and ever since then, I've been practicing knowingly intermittent fasting. Sure. But uh, when I found out that I have cancer three and a half months ago, a bunch of people, my friends, uh, have been sending me articles and videos on YouTube, uh, basically research on fasting and how it can help fight cancer, especially in combination with chemotherapy. Mm. And so I started reading all those articles, watching all those videos, uh, listening to podcasts, you know, doing more of my own research on this. And so what I learned is uh, when you're in a fasted state for a prolonged per- period of time, your uh, healthy cells in your body enter into this protective mode, right? Mm. So they they stop dividing and they just focus on themselves. They, they're self-healing process begins and they're in this protective mode while cancer cells on the other side they're what's called metabolically active cells which means they're always depend on food they're always hungry when your uh, healthy mm. cells they can borrow energy from your fat stores they can break down fat cancer cells they can't do that Cancer cells cannot feed off your fat. So as when you don't eat, you're, you basically starve your cancer cells. So here's the power of this technique 
this is how it comes in when it comes to chemotherapy. If you do fasting strategically around your chemotherapy, you basically strengthen your healthy cells and and, and you weaken your cancer cells. You starve and you make them more sensitive to chemo because chemo is a poison that does not differentiate between healthy and and cancer it destroys everything but if you do fasting strategically like this like i've been doing around chemotherapy you gay you basically give a better chance of survival for your healthy cells and you protect them while you make cancer cells weaker and more sensitive to chemo so more of them die while you do it it makes a lot of sense so yeah, what I've been doing, I, I have done five rounds of chemotherapy so far. For the first round, I did not do any prolonged fasting. I was eating regularly like I always do daily. And that's when I felt the worst, which is mm. kind of crazy because yeah. people who go through chemotherapy and they do 12 rounds of chemo normally feel worse and worse and worse. Every single round becomes a harder battle for them. So I did not do any prolonged fasting for my first round and I was nauseous for about five days. I didn't feel good for about five days after chemo. Continue, my friend's been sending me all that research and I was doing my own research and I decided to experiment and do a two and a half day fast for my second round of chemo. I did not tell my oncologist yeah, about, I was wondering that. about that. I, I just decided to do it, go for it and and see see what it's like see how i feel so um, my chemo is always every other friday i do chemotherapy once every two weeks it's always on fridays so what i did for my second uh, round of chemo i ate for the last time on wednesday night so i fasted entire day thursday entire day or friday the Mm -hmm. day of chemo and i ate for the first time on Saturday around 4 p.m., which was a total of about two and a half days, right? Wow. And I felt way better, like crazy. I did not get nauseous at all. My energy was through the roof. I posted a video of, of a workout that I did uh, after my second round, and I was I did a pretty hard workout. I did a strength training session, but then I did sprints on the treadmill, sprints on the uh, assault bike, I was doing a, a jump rope workout with the with you know double unders all kinds of stuff like I did a really intense workout and I felt amazing I felt great and I was like wow this is this definitely works fasting definitely works no doubt about it in my mind now and so for my third round before my third round I told my oncologist <laughs> that I did that and she said I cannot tell you to do it, but I can't oppose it either. You know, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Just make sure you keep in touch with me. You know, Uh, if you don't feel good, let me know, blah, blah, blah. Make sure you don't lose too much weight while you do these fasts and and stuff like that. And so I was like, great. So I was like, great. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And I I did more research. Again, knowledge is power. Yeah, man. So I did more research and there's this professor, his name is Dr. Walter Longo. He's at USC and this is his 
expertise. This is his area of expertise that he does. He's been doing experiments on mice and yeast and uh, when it comes to cancer. He, there's a movie which is called uh, The Science of Fasting. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. It's about different cultures and how different cultures use fasting for uh, many reasons. Right. And so they start with Russia and then they go to Germany and then there's some other country and then they uh, show United States. And when they show a fragment of the movie about the United States, it's in Los Angeles and they show Dr. Longo and his research about fasting and how it can help cancer. In the movie, they show that they did an experiment with mice, right? There was a large group of mice and they all had cancer, approximately same same stage, same type. And um, they divided that large group of mice into two groups. One group of mice was eating regularly, daily. Mm-hmm. They were fed uh, daily. And another group of mice, they would feed them just enough calories so that you know they would live and survive. Uh, and function normally but then they were doing like a prolonged fast they were on the prolonged fast protocol so they injected all of those mice with chemotherapy Mm -hmm. the dose that's three times larger that's allowed to humans so lethal dose right and all of the mice that were eating daily died and all of the mice that fasted they all lived they called other uh, institutions, other colleges where they do re- that type of research, and they told them to do to repeat that same experiment. And they didn't tell about the outcome at USC. They told them to repeat the experiment, and they did, and the outcome was the same. fact that you're able to work out like you have been like the next day or a couple days after chemo I think is a testament to it being something I mean obviously for people that are listening you should probably consult with your doctor or go on to videos yeah but I think it's a testament to it's obviously something that one should consider absolutely I had so many people reach out to me on social media on Instagram and on Facebook you know saying wow I don't know how you do this. I've been, I've I've beat cancer, but I could not move. You know, even people who have beat cancer and they are cancer free today told me that they could not move, they could not get out of the bed, they were miserable, they were they felt like they were dying, you know. These people told me that they're amazed that I'm I'm in the gym putting in the work that I'm putting in. There is something, I want to ask you a couple other things and I'll let you go. There is something about you that is kind of magical. <laughs> no, and I'll, but let me explain. For the people that don't Thank know you. what you look like, you know, you've got a lot of tattoos. Yeah. And there is an intensity to your expressions and your look that could be pretty menacing and intimidating. They say don't judge the book by its cover, right? Well, yeah, man. I think that's my point. Well, although I might come across like a criminal or a <laughs> gang member, I have a shaved head and a lot of tattoos, but all of my tattoos have a powerful meaning to them. They all mean a lot to me. I don't have a single tattoo on my body that just 
a picture or something to look cool or something. Were like you that. in a? Do you remember like the state of mind? Or like you know, because I don't have tattoos. I mean, it's one thing to you know have one or two, but you know, what's is there a mental meaning or mess? But you know, something that you were trying to create or? Yes, absolutely. You know, not a lot of things in life are forever. You know, and tattoos are forever. Once you get a tattoo, it's there. It's in you. It's a, it becomes a part of you. It's in your skin forever. When since I was a child, I was like, man, when I'm gonna grow up, I'm gonna get a lot of tattoos. You know, and my my first tattoo I got when I was 15. And what's crazy about it is growing up, I have strict parents, okay? I don't have, like, I'm not one of those spoiled kids, you know? <laughs> I have very strict parents, like, I had certain bedtime, like, when yeah. I was growing up, like, certain things that I always had to do. My room had to be clean, you know? All of these things. My Thank you, mom and dad, for <laughs> raising me that way because I'm, I'm a disciplined person and everything. Well, anyways... Growing up, I would never think that if I asked my parents, like even as a teenager, to get a tattoo, I, it was like it was there was not even a thought in my mind that they would allow me to do it. But when I was fifteen, uh, there was this world championship in swimming, right? And we were watching these world championships in swimming on TV with my family, and there was a commercial break. And in, the, in that commercial break, they showed this really cool clip of swimmers taking off the blocks and finishing the races and celebrating and, and coming out and taking their, um, you know, their like tracksuits and getting ready for races all yeah. pumped. And for some reason, you know, a, a lot of those swimmers that they showed in that commercial had tattoos. And my mom noticed that, and like, and she was like, she just made a point. Man, a lot of, a lot of top swimmers in the world have tattoos, huh? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. And she goes, <laughs> would you want to get a tattoo? And I'm like, what? Yeah. Yes, hell yes, I, I would want to get a tattoo. And she's like, okay, do well in school, train hard, swim well, and you know, we will let you get get a tattoo. Yeah. And. I guess I did pretty well in school, and I, and I, and I swam well. And yeah, That's right cool. before my 16th birthday, I got my first tattoo, which, which was a shark on my chest. Yeah. And, and I take it the nickname shark is because of uh, Again, swimming. it's all about mentality, you know, and growing up, swimming was my life, you know. This was, this was everything I knew. Uh, swimming was a... A passion, a job, everything. I, I met all my friends through swimming. It was it was my life, you know. And there is a saying in Russian, which I would translate to English as the name, um, the way you name your boat, that's how it's going to sail, right? So meaning hmm. how you, the way you look at yourself, that's how that's how you're gonna do in life. If you look at yourself as a champion, if if you look at yourself as a winner, as a fighter, a warrior, a shark in the ocean, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna do just well in life. If you are viewing yourself as a loser and and a weak person or whatever, unlucky or whatever you think, it's you blame somebody else always for whatever challenges you're going through 
then you're probably not going to do that well in life. You yeah. Know? So I was 14 when I decided that this is going to be my nickname, Shark, you know. And then at 15, I was like, my first tattoo has, has got to be a shark because, <laughs> because this is who I am. Was it tough to grow up in the Ukraine? Yeah, it was. It was pretty tough. And the, and the reason why I'm asking that is because I do feel like we're such an image conscious, superficial culture. Mm. And we judge a book by its cover. And one could, you know, and I don't know how bullying could be a part of one's life in Ukraine. I get the sense there's a lot of macho egocentric qualities happening just even in america it's just i feel like now more than ever it is so hard to be a teenager Mm -hmm. just based on social media and comparison and competition and i guess knowing that we live in such a superficial culture when one looks at you there there's an intimidation factor that could happen i understand yeah i understand but it's my job to let people know who I truly am. Yeah. And, and uh, that's where the power of social mm. media and the good side of social media comes in. You know, right uh, now I have a chance to connect with so many people on social media and show them who I really am and what I'm all about. And I'm all about helping people in any way I can, you know, leading by example. I want to be a good leader a good role model for anybody who's watching me and I want to lead by example and um, show people that if you are a fight if you choose to be a fighter in life and go after your dreams and take risks hmm. and be smart and be a good person all of that together when you put when you put it all together and you just focus on growth and giving that back to people, you know, that's what I'm all about. And that's how, that's, that's my purpose with social media, you know? Well, I guess, and I'll close with that in the sense that I have these conflicting issues with what's happened to our society and culture and social media and the way people are incorporating social media. Did, did you ever, and I think it's also a time sucker. I just feel like people are wasting time. No, uh, you're right. A so, lot of people do. And I think the younger the generations go, the more attracted and obsessed, obsessed they become with the fake world as opposed to like the real face-to-face world. Did you ever struggle with how to use social media or did you ever feel like you were addicted or did you ever feel like you had to post particular things? I mean, what's your relationship with it? I wouldn't say I struggled and I wouldn't say... I was ever addicted to social media, but uh, I'm not trying to say I, I'm 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 this perfect guy who only uses social media for you know the, these good purposes. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes I sit on my phone and scroll through Instagram too much, you know, and and I do waste time while I could be doing something that would benefit me, you know, uh, or somebody else <laughs> do, do do something. That, that needs to be done <laughs> other than wasting time scrolling through social media, right? Yeah. So uh, I have definitely done that and probably still do sometimes. I think balance is, is what's important, you know, with social media and life in general, you know. Social media isn't bad. It's 
balancing it, what you have to master, you know, just like if you look at water, right? If we look at water, is water good for you? Absolutely. It's healthy. It's water's life. If you don't drink water, you'll die. But if you over drink water, you can also die. Because um, if you over drink water, you will flush out a lot of like life, you know, um, important like minerals and stuff. You can, you can die from that. I think the lesson to be learned here with the water example is just like with the water, with social media, it's as well, you know, you can, you can use social media and make a lot of good things out of it and learn from it as well. You can follow people who inspire you and who you can learn from and um, who can help you with self-development and growth and dealing with whatever challenges you're you're facing in your life but you can use social media just to waste time and for entertainment and you know bullshit and that's when it's bad right so i think it's uh, making good choices using using social media for the right purposes and and being in balance you know not overusing it somebody on social media that you like to follow and inspires you and makes you feel good i follow a lot of athletes i'm a boxing and fitness trainer so i do follow a lot of boxing trainers and coaches and fitness professionals who share workouts training tips stretching tips nutritional tips Uh, i also put a lot of time into spiritual growth so i follow some spiritual mentors of mine dr joe dispenza and eckhart tolle would be good examples there so yeah here's a couple examples of of how you can use social media platforms and follow people who will benefit you i think because and i you know i've been writing a book for like the last two years and i think you have this discipline element that you've probably always had. I think people that are disciplined and know themselves and have like a goal that they're trying to accomplish, whether it's a book or training for an event Mm -hmm. or becoming a football athlete, I think it's easy to manage tech and social media. And and you're right, it's a balancing act. But I think it's easy if you don't have, you know, to study for the PhD, to get a PhD degree or something. It's easy to go down that rabbit hole of distraction. And and if you're not careful, you know, four four hours go by and you're like, what the fuck did I just do the last four hours? You're right. I think setting goals and going after them is important and being disciplined is the key to accomplishing goals. There's not a doubt about that. But what you have to, what you must not forget is that life is happening right now and the present moment is all we ever have everything that will that that's ever happened and everything that will ever happen it happens in the present moment and then it's gone forever while it is good to set goals and have a vision for the future and look at your dreams and go after them it's important that you don't live in that future. Hmm. And um, you have to go through life, learn from it, take as much as you can of positive from it, learn your lessons and um, grow. 
And then you have to move on. I feel like I'm sitting with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? it's just no, yeah. man. It's, you know what? It's inspiring to like. I just love listening to the stories that you're telling. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And Eddie. I've got a lot to learn, and I don't certainly have this figured out. But I think it's important to, as you say, live in the present. If you're passionate about boxing, writing a book, teaching yoga, follow your dreams, keep the distractions to a minimum. Right. You know, surround yourself with face to face conversations, surround yourself with great people, love, good things on social media that don't inspire you to keep scrolling, but inspire you to get off your ass and, you know, live your fucking life and and kick ass. Right. I mean, I think that's really valuable and. I just I feel that energy talking to you and and you are the same person that I see on social media that you are face to face and I'm just really stoked that you took the time. I'm so happy that you're cancer free. Thank you so much. And by the way, you, you teach at Box and Burn in Santa Monica. Yes. And you're still teaching there. I mean, obviously, you know, maybe a day goes by where you might not be able to teach because maybe it was the day after chemo, but that'll be done in like, you know, a little bit and you'll April. be back. Okay. I'll be done with chemotherapy in April. I, and, I cannot wait to get to <laughs> to the full speed of... Yeah. What's like, I don't know the boxing world at all, but just to close the show, what's your plan or do you have a goal? I know you don't want to think too far ahead, but I mean, you got to have a little bit of sense of what you want to accomplish um, in the fitness and or boxing world. I train boxing for fitness. As of right now, uh, I don't work with any competitive boxers. And so far, I'm not planning. As far as my vision for the future goes, I have to finish chemotherapy. That's something that needs to be done to, you know, prevent my body from relapse. I, again, I think it's all mental and people who do have relapses, they they are not fully healed in their mind. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of afraid that cancer might come back and it kind of haunts them and it does come back when you when you live in fear like this. Me personally, I don't. I have no doubt that after I'm done with this chemo, I will live cancer-free for the rest of my life. Not that I'm not going to be ready for anything that life might throw at me. I will be ready for anything, but I choose to live like this. Again, we'll live in the present moment, and this is how I choose to live. I have already booked my first motivational speech on January 15th, so I look forward to share my my knowledge my wisdom and my experience with anybody who's listening anybody who's watching me and listening me if i can help them become better themselves that's my goal whether it's fitness whether a person wants to lose weight or learn how to box or get strong or develop unbreakable mindset if i can help them with that that's that's my vision this is what i'm going to dedicate my life to this is what i love doing it doesn't feel like work to me (laughs) this is my life and i feel like this is my purpose on this earth and uh, as far as personal goals go i after i do i lost a lot of strength and muscle mass to chemotherapy since I started treatment. So I look forward to be done with chemotherapy and get in the best shape of my life, become the strongest I've ever been, the leanest I've ever been, been and just get in the 
again, lead by example. This is what I'm all about. I just want to show people that anything is possible. Any any goal is achievable. Shark man, you are the real deal. And uh, it's awesome to have you here. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to check out one of your classes in Santa Monica. And I think you are going to change a lot of people's lives. I can just, I sense that you have that quality where you can get people's priorities in the right way and get people to live a healthier, happier life. And I think you can help people to um, also just get people to realize the value of life. Thank you so much, Eddie. That truly means a lot to me. That this is what I'm all about. And hearing from you that you see this in me is just, it's rewarding. And I'm honored to hear this. And I'm honored to be here, a guest on your podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I just, I think there's a lot of what's real, what's not real, people putting up, you know, personas that aren't real and I just immediately get the sense that you do and it's been proven me sitting across from you today for the last you know hour and a half or so so thank you so much that's also a huge part of of me being real you know yeah I I totally embrace who I am and uh just be you I that's what I also uh I that's I that's what I practice and that's what I preach be real whoever you are you know, uh, Instagram is cool, but be you. If you if you are showing up on Instagram, show up as yourself, not as somebody. You know. Yeah. I even have a "Be Real" tattooed on my <laughs> on my fingers. You know. Yeah. This is what I'm all about. Like, be real, be you. Man, Shark, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, Eddie. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.